Okay, we are live. Let's check our audio. Check one, two. We are live from the Word Salad. Thanks for the words.com studios. Okay. We are live. From there we the go. Word Salad. Okay. Okay. Make sure it, it was slightly delayed, so that was the only thing. Yeah. Make sure okay. Make Hold sure on. Let me make sure I can hear myself. Okay. 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 It was slightly delayed. All right. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, turn the song here. That was so weird. <laughs> okay. Right, that's go. a good. That's a good lead into the show because now we have yeah. a nice positive vibe going here. Let's, so, all right, let's so we're, go. All right. Well, we are live. So, welcome everyone to. Uh, Word Salad. We're on the thanksforthewords.com YouTube channel. My name is Joshua Brown. Uh, with me is Mr. Thanks for the Words himself, Christopher Wooten. Chris, how are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, it feels like yeah. a sa- Saturday, like major Saturday vibes. So, feeling. Yeah, we pretty- both got like kind of. The city look going behind us and everything. Yeah, the city nightlife, you know, wishing you could be out there in the, in the <laughs> yeah. city. You know, yeah. Third third Saturday or fourth Saturday, whatever it is, in this long month going through the getting through autumn here. But uh, yeah, so so welcome everyone. Um words out. We have kind of our a topic that uh that I sprang on you yesterday, Chris. Uh, I just kind of gave you a name, David Foster Wallace, and uh, a quote, and kind of got got sent you uh, hunting. So, just kind of a, a little bit, of, a quick background, I guess, before we dive too much into it. So, David Foster Wallace uh, was an author, probably most famous for uh, his book Infinite Jest, um, but wrote a whole lot of um, nonfiction things as well. So, that's kind of really what uh, I'm most interested in, and. And uh, really just going to be talking about a lot of uh, some of the things he talked about and just using that as a, a springboard, a jumping off point to, to have a conversation. So so before we get into the actual quote, in kind of the last 24 hours, some of the stuff maybe that, that uh, we haven't necessarily talked about that you found out about him, what, um, what kind of first sprang to your mind? Uh, wow, that's a good, that's a good first question. That's, that's one of those like gotcha questions, uh, (laughs) prove that you've actually been looking into this guy, right? Well, no, Um, I mean, just cursory over, you know, (laughs) even if it's just skin deep, what, you know, what are the the first couple of paragraphs of of what's coming in your mind? Well, the first thing was you, you showed me the, well, the first thing you showed me was the, the clip itself of the quote, which is like, like three minutes long. And uh, I watched it. It was definitely fascinated. Uh, it's very interesting. But I also, I kind of felt like I needed a little bit of context. So uh, right. I was able to, you know, you were able to send me the whole, the whole interview. And and the thing that you know we were talking about before is it was very raw uh, and it was uncut. And um, and I think that it goes. You know, I even mentioned too that it it, it almost reminded me of myself in a way because the thing is about what we're doing here is I like the raw engagement of it. I like, that's why I even like going live because it's not edited and it's, uh, it's, right. there's a, there's a dialogue there's an engagement and you could see that in the interview. Um, and he very constantly, uh, not only would he 
kind of doubt himself or, you know, oh, that probably doesn't make any sense to you. But then he would also ask the interviewer, well, what do you think about it? And uh, I found it very, uh, uh, very human, I guess is a way to put it. And, um, uh, but, but also kind of profound. And uh, it's one of those things where I think, I think you have to probably go through it or maybe read some of his works. I, I didn't know about him. I, I didn't actually know who he was until you gave me that quote. Uh, and then, you know, kind of learned a little bit about his, his story and his backstory. And, and obviously there's, there's some, there's some tragedy in there as well. Right. Um, but that, that was kind of the first, you know, like you said, cursory, uh, uh, I guess, uh, read on sort of what he was about is that he, he's kind of, you know, maybe in a midlife crisis in a sense, uh, he's kind of trying to, uh, define what, what happiness is, what, what reality is and, and how much of that is self-imposed how much of that is you know comes from society or from government or from media mm. uh you know and again this is just uh, over the last day like, right. I, I, i'm actually i'm planning to look into him I, i'm probably going to start reading some of his books because uh you know really kind of fascinating stuff uh, but yeah that was kind of my initial read on on him okay so without further ado i'm going to throw up our uh, first quote and i'm going to also put the uh, the full video the interview um, and the clip that we'll be talking about um, in the, the notes of the show here, um, just to uh, make sure, again, that everyone else has that same context that you're talking about. But um, So I'll, I'll go ahead and read the quote here, so for, at least for the, the first half, and I feel like this kind of sets the foundation of what uh, we can talk about uh, going forward. So uh, our quote here, uh, For young people in America, there are very mixed messages from the culture. Uh, there's a streak of moralism in American life, uh, that extols the virtues of being grown up and having a family uh, and being a responsible citizen. Um, but there's also this sense of do what you want, gratify your appetites, because when I'm a corporation, uh, appealing to the parts of you that are selfish and self-centered uh, and want to have fun all the time is the best way to sell you things. And so, you know, to bring it to the context of some of the things that we've talked about with uh, thanks for the words, the, the millennial generation. Um, you know, I feel like this is particularly um, uh, poignant to people that grew up in the, you know, late 60s to the, the 90s of, of a whole, uh, not necessarily change in advertising, but a, a certainly a more um, frequent amount of it. And then, of course, being on TV and a frequent amount of that. Um, and, and then, you know, I'm sure we'll get even to like things like Facebook, but, you know, in, in your own personal life, how do you, how have you seen kind of yeah, advertising the, the machine of want, um, you, you know, affect your, your own life as, you know, you've kind of gone from, you know, someone like a, you know, a kid who's not responsible for your finances to, you know, someone with a job, a family, res that responsibility that, that he's kind of talking about there. Yeah. Um, uh, that's good. That's another good question. Uh, I guess I would I would kind of start by backtracking a few years. Actually, uh, really in kind of the mid '90s to the early 2000s for me was was uh, kind of a time of cultural awakening, uh, and I think maybe for you as well, just because you know we came up in the same era. Mm. I was I was actually really big into George Carlin, 
And I think that uh, George Carlin, first off, my parents showed me a lot of stuff. I should, my dad, especially uh -huh. my dad showed me a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have seen when I, at my age, I, I watched a lot of, I think my parents got me the movie total recall when I was like seven years old. So, you know, I saw a lot of stuff that I probably shouldn't have seen at such a young age, but I do remember I watched a lot of George Carlin uh, and, and, you know, one of the big themes with him is, is advertising is, is uh, kind of this sort of idea of, of manufactured uh, necessity, the things that they try to sell you, the, the mm. fear that they try to uh, instill in you. Uh, and I think as you're growing up um, in this era, uh, there's this kind of, you know, dare I say irony, because this is one of the things that uh, David actually mentions throughout the interview, sort of the, the merits, but also kind of the downfalls of irony uh, in our in our culture today. Um, there's kind of an irony in um, the way that you know the message of like be yourself, right, or like do what makes you feel good. The mm. things that he talks about, kind of later on. I might be spoiling a little bit, actually, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but but uh, it, it there is that. Um, idea like we even see it in high school I used to in high school I used to always feel like there was this um, you know it's a very uh, um, maybe mixed messages is a way to put it like do it do it this way and this way and this way you know Cornell notes and then everything was like structured and, and but, but then at the same time be creative and be free and do, you know and and do what you think you know do what you really want to do but then there's this idea of structure um, and it's almost like they create uh, create this dichotomy, um, and and now I might be I might be in danger of, of uh, putting words in in David's mouth, but I kind of got the idea that it's like they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. But um, I, don't know, those, I don't know if I I don't know if I answered your question. I kind of rambled yeah, a little bit there. No. Um, it's good. But, but. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting you mentioned George Carlin because he also yeah. kind of came up as I was, you know, rewatching a lot of some of this stuff um, that I think will, you know, will definitely, uh, you know, get, get to at some point with the irony and cynicism. Um, but, you know, to, to go back to the, the, the mixed messages, I think one of the, the things that he also talks about is those, you know, those messages of, you know, something like Burger King or whoever it was with, you know, a slogan like break the rules um, you know, and, you know, they don't really want you to break the rules. They want you to, to obey the <laughs> right. rules and to go and pay for your right. hamburger and, you know, or, you know, have it your way, you know, I, I was just going to say, have know, it that, your way. Yeah. That was the thing, yeah. you know, because, you know, you have to have it your way, you know, the, everything has to go your way. You know, that's kind of the subtext of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, even the irony in that of, uh, you know, even today, I think most people who need some some type of custom order know that that's not that that's even kind of a recent thing in, in fast food. So, you know, there's I know getting into the weeds of fast food changes is kind of odd, but yeah, there, there's still this irony of you're not really getting it your way. It's it's what they have, what they're capable of doing <laughs> in that moment. Um, yeah, you know, and but they all kind of just had that attitude, and I think that was. Yeah. That you know, I don't, I, I don't want to have a recency bias, bias of, oh, you know, in the '80s and '90s, watching TV and 
you know, this was really the first time this happened. Because I, I, I don't know what, you know, it was like in the 60s and 70s in that real time. Um, yeah. But it, but again, it felt like that there was, um, you know, as, as uh, David talks about a lot, you know, a saturation of TV. Um, and you, so you had a, an, an art form, the medium of which what people watched all the time, you know, hours on end at a day and was saturated with advertisement, you know, just, you know, wall mm-hmm. to wall to the point where advertisement, making fun of advertisement or TV, making fun of TV, being self deprecating in that way, kind of the, the meta of it, um, j- j- you know, just be- became this, uh, overwhelming sense of irony so i guess we'll kind of we can kind of get into the, some of the irony and the, the sarcasm so to, to play into that another question I, that i think i have for you is you know you mentioned you know george carlin and, and having that early on um you know i had that like a little bit later that you know probably in my 20s so even that difference i think plays a lot but how do you think that sort of raw cynicism did how did, did it play uh you know a role in how you viewed politics in the world and, and kind of to what extent did that kind of seed plant? Yeah, I think, well, I think it's one of those things where, um, what is it that causation, uh, uh, how does it go? Correlation doesn't right. equal causation. Uh, I think that the, the viewing of Carlin did play some role in that, but I also think having parents particularly my father being the one who really kind of was like that, uh, who, who would encourage their, their, their son to watch stuff like that. Uh, not necessarily on a direct level. It would, it wasn't, I'm not, it wasn't as if my father would say here, watch this, like put, put me in front of the TV, but he's watching it. And then I'm sitting there watching it with him. Mm. But I think the, the thing about, you know, and, and again, I, we do a whole nother topic on my parents. Uh, my, my relationship is complicated, but cost uh, they you, both so. have very, yeah, but, but my dad, I'm really, I'm really honing in on my father here. Um, he was the kind of dad who, uh, you know, I would ask him, I would ask him what something means and he would tell me to go look it up in the dictionary. And this kind of plays into the, even just the theme of, even if we go back to like the 10th man concept and everything, and uh, it's really, really searching for the answers yourself. That, it is a, a big part, I think, of, you know, George Carlin, but even to a, a larger extent, um, that's kind of uh, questioning, you know, qu- questioning the consensus, you know, again, to, to go to my own, uh, my own uh, stere- stereotype uh, cliche that I say. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, you do go through this kind of, uh, you go through an awakening, you know, you called it an awakening, you know, right? Like the early, but 95, uh, kind of pre-internet era, pre-tech, you know, every, everything in, your, in the palm of your hand. Mm. You do go through almost uh, two awakenings. You know, the first awakening is the idea that, um, you know, you kind of have to search for, the answers to an extent and you have to find what makes you happy. You have to find what your passion is. And then the second awakening is that the system is going to tell you that that's all bullshit. They're going to tell you when you're younger, they're going to say like, yeah, 
you could be president when you grow up, right? You can be whatever you want. And then you grow up and it's like, you know, no, you have to write, you, you have to write, it's got to be 300 words max and you got to keep them in, you know, and everything is structured. And then you have to, you have to pay, you have to take this standardized test in order to take this class. And if you don't take this class and you can't go to this class, but while all at the same time, they're, they're feeding you that same message. Um, and then you kind of get into the real world and you realize how little of uh, the technical stuff. And again, and I'm and I'm and I'm starting to get more, you know, personal. I haven't necessarily done research on the whole subject, but in my experience, I, I find uh, even if I bring it back to parenting, um, and I'm getting, you know, um, I read all kinds of books. I read all kinds of books on, you know, when when my wife was pregnant, and then when we, ha- you know, on on having babies and little kids. And mm. I don't, I don't think back to much of that stuff now. I basically just, just kind of live moment to moment. You do what you think is best. Um, so, yeah. Again, I don't, I don't know if I'm, if I'm, if that's answering your question either. But um, I guess that's kind of. Yeah. <laughs> what do well, you think about it? <laughs> well, I think the reason that I thought it was interesting to to bring up uh, George Carlin is because in some ways he's the um, antithesis of what, you know, he's exactly what um, David is talking about in terms of, I mean, even in that interview later on, there's a quote with, by David and he says you know halfway intelligent Americans have to deal with this problem of knowing what is right um, and knowing that there's there's work to to do and be put in and the other half of it is well you know this is nothing really matters it's all bullshit anyway Um, and and I mean that's George I don't want to say that's his whole act that's not fair to say but you know, a lot of it is, I mean, some of it is. That like, was you know, actually the name of one of his acts, though. It was actually, it's all bullshit. That was actually the name of one. <laughs> well, okay, so, you know, I guess that's the point. And, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, your vote is already paid for and bought. Don't, don't even bother. Right. Um, right. And, you know, just complete and, and utter cynicism, you know, beyond sarcasm, beyond irony, just, you know, hitting you over the head with this. Um, and you know, that's what it, it had evolved to. And that's what it, I mean, that's mm-hmm. why the act, you know, took the years and it's like in the eighties and nineties, it's so sharp, um, you know, and it can do so well and it's so cutting edge, you know, along with, you know, the other people that are going through that. Um, but so you, now you have these generations of, you know, the, the, er, the, the late boomers, the Gen X, um, and then, you know, kind of the early millennials like us who have just been, again, beaten over the head with this for, you know, their, their entire life. And it's only gotten, you know, more cynical and, um, you know, that's kind of used as a baseline for a lot of people. I feel like, you know, oh, George Carlin. Um, and it's not just the comedy. It's it's his you know outlook on life. But. You know, in the same breath, a lot of people who maybe like that or listen to him would also listen to someone say like Noam Chomsky. And I'm not saying that those are two overlapping huge circles, but you know, right. you know, there, there's there's some overlap there. Um, yeah. And and then you have someone like Noam who can be not necessarily as cynical in uh, a in a degrading of its sense, but cynical in a, that he can run it down and say, you know, Oh no, that's actually the case of 
you know, this did happen. Um, but still be hopeful about all these situations. I mean, he, I don't think he would ever say something right. like don't vote um, or it's all bullshit, you know, because you live. You're talking about Gnome now. Right, right. right talking about Gnome. Right, right. So, and right, so right. what, what, yeah, the, yeah. and the reason I bring that up is just because, you know, you have people that would say, you know, those two people and, and, and Gnome is just kind of a, an idea. You other people that are kind of like that, where they have that hope, mm-hmm. where people look up to them and George and kind of hold those two, uh, you know, as one when they, they conflict, right, right. they conflict on a huge message there. So, you know, it's, it's kind of because yeah. of the whole seriously, not literally thing. So, you know, was, right. was you know, however great that comedy was, um, yeah. Was that it, or comedy like that? You know, The Simpsons, Saturday Night Live, where you you're pushing it over a cliff of sarcasm to the point where, oh, it's all bullshit. Look at you know, like something like that. Is that ultimately, you know, how healthy is that for a society? Hmm. It's an interesting question. Um, I, you know, honestly, I don't think I've ever thought to that extent. Uh, I do know, you know, again with George Carlin particularly. Uh, there's an interview with him later in his life where this topic kind of came up. Um, just the kind of the the almost despair uh, in mm. in our world that George Carlin is highlighting in the things he talks about, and I think the the general idea of of the of the questioner was kind of how do you cope with that you know how and and how do you live with this if you're you're kind of you're kind of uh filling your audience with this message right of what the reality is and his his basic his answer was that he basically jumped ship a long time ago and he uh he's just an observer he's just watching it he's yeah. just here for the for the you know his whole thing is america is what, what did he say he said um if you want to see the greatest, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something to the extent of like America is, or, or yeah, when you're born, when you're born in this country, uh, you're born into a circus, and if you're born in America, you're given a, a front row seat, and um, it's something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And basically, his whole thing is he's kind of just watching the show. Um, but th- I mean, think about how you know we we've been talking yeah. about narcissism and hate hatred. You know, to to, to yeah. get to that point, and he says a long time ago, um, you, you know, and maybe this part of it is great that that someone like that is so honest. Um, but when it when it comes down to it, if that wasn't an act, if, if that wasn't the thing that helped yeah. to sell the tickets, how I mean, if everyone th- thinks like that, or if even <laughs> you, you know you you build enough people to think like that, that's right. really yeah. destructive. Um, it, no one, it, no yeah, one cares. It, it's all bullshit. It's an interesting. No, yeah, it's an interesting point. You know, I think that uh, I don't think you're wrong. I think it maybe it depends on who's interpreting it. For me, uh, you know, and I actually would, I, I would uh, dare dare I say, go back to my experience with uh, basic training. Um, the principle there is basically they strip you down, they they break you down, they strip you down to your core, your uh, you know, break you down emotionally, physically, and then they build you back up to a stronger soldier, right? And and, and uh, I'm not necessarily saying that that's the best way. There's actually been studies 
Uh, and you'll find if you look in the history of basic training back from like the 60s till now, they used to be able to hit you. You know, the, it's it's evolved quite a bit to where now they're not even supposed to swear at you. Mm. Um, so it, it, I think it's gotten I, I think there's something to be said for that as well, that you don't necessarily have to completely degrade somebody to build them up. But where I'm com- where I'm going with that is, is I think one could argue that uh, in in the sort of George Carlin uh, esque uh, view of things, you're you're what you're doing is you're you're highlighting just how bad it is, so that we can start working on the problems because the media or the government or you know fill in the blank. And again, I, and I'm not necessarily saying that I believe this completely myself, but I'm kind, I'm saying what I. trying to sort of play devil's advocate in George's defense. um, What I, what I maybe he hoped to accomplish is to kind of highlight where these uh, inadequacies are and bring attention to them. But to your point also, I think that you're not wrong to say that there is that risk that people respond with that equal cynicism and like, yeah, you know what? It is all bullshit. You know, the, and then, and then, like you said, what happens then? Then the, the people, you know, the dogs run run free. Well, um, and, and I think I would just add, you know, the, the the Trumps of the world, and you know, a lot of politicians on on both sides in you know smaller places, states, and local elections would prefer you know, not to vote. Um, they they probably love that message. Yeah. Um, We're seeing know. that right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I, and I mean, we see from you know the Facebook advertising. That was a strategy, you know. How can we, mm-hmm. how can we make sure people don't vote? How can we really deter them from voting? They had specific categories of people. And, and what, so. and what was the number one message? What was the main thing that was said about why you shouldn't vote? Because it's all bullshit, right? That was the whole thing. Was that it's all rigged? Like Donald Trump was was calling out like the whole thing, the post office, it's going to be rigged. There's going to be people, dead people are going to be casting ballots and people are going to be sending out multiple ballots and they're going to go to your neighbors and all this. It's just yeah. kind of the same as this, the theme, right? As though right. it's all bullshit. Well, and that was the, <laughs> that was the thing um, to, you know, target the Bernie voters, say it's all bullshit. You guys got, mm-hmm. you guys got rigged by Hillary. Um, you know, don't, don't right. vote or vote for Donald, you know, because again, it's all, it's all bull. So, you know, and right. I, and I, and I've, you know, obviously I can listen to um, his comedy and, you know, really appreciate it, get it. Um, and, you know, still think that it's sometimes, but at the same time, I've seen enough of those interviews that you've talked about where, unless he's just really good at, you know, playing that character over the, the entire term. I mean, he's very blunt and clear you know, that he's just kind of a, a shit starter. I mean, this, and he's has been one his whole life and isn't going right. to not, not be one. So, you know, I, I just think that, that, you know, he's, he's like a point, um, on the, the spectrum, you know, uh, so you could go yeah. to someone like earlier, like Lenny Bruce, where, you know, again, everything that we're talking about is in the context of, uh, you know, so much of, uh, talking against and, and protest against the establishment was um, subversion, um, you know, mm-hmm. and through sarcasm and irony, and that's you know kind of the, the in the, the the birth of a lot of stuff in the the late '40s and '50s, probably earlier than that. But 
just to kind of use those, you know, like a Lenny Bruce as an example, where, you know, there's a difference. I don't want to say that it was completely, it's completely useless because it is now, it was uh, useless then. That's obviously not the case. Um, so, you know, him kind of being another point on that spectrum, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with Carlin, just, just to take comedy as an example. Um, but how it, how it changed from you know, kind of being this, this weapon to where the, 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 the other side is using that weapon against you. And again, not to, not to make it as mm-hmm. another sideism thing, you know, politics, the, the they versus the people, but people in advertising, yeah. people that, um, you know, make decisions in corporations. Um, uh, you know, so I, I would kind of go back, you know, was there, you know, a moment maybe when, you know, it, w- with your children, maybe like with, a uh, with a thing on, um, YouTube or something that you kind of noticed that, um, maybe had kind of slipped past you before, you know, maybe even through like, um, with nieces or nephews with like the media that they've consumed, you know, maybe that are like kind of preteens of things that have kind of jumped the shark a little bit or have been honed even since we were kids. Are you talking about, uh, like things that are, that were appropriate in our day, but are not appropriate today. Is that kind of where you're going or? So like, you know, I'm not like my, my kids are a little young for someone like say Anthony Jeselnik, you know, and I, I don't know his act and I don't mean to spring that on you either, but you know, just someone. I actually with, don't know who that is, to be honest. So, <laughs> I, I don't, and I don't want to attribute. Maybe I shouldn't use it, but someone who's who is just telling you know absolute crazy, just way out there jokes about uh, you know just stupid stuff, or just other things in media, like say like the the, jo- the George Carlin. What would be the George Carlin that you would be listening to with, you know, eventually with the you know, the, the younger you type situation, or, you know, maybe it's, it's in, you know, music because, you know, the other thing too, uh, that's going on during this nineties time is punk rock. Right. So that's another, that's another thing that's kind of been brewing obviously in the eighties and somewhat in the seventies too, but you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of hitting the, or I should say more like grunge, but, but also punk is like turning into this. Now it's this commercial, uh, thing, right? It's not just this underground thing, and right, so that's kind of right. a reoccurring theme too of the thing that's that's uh, culturally popular in one spot becomes popular across the nation. And so, what does that mean? You know, especially in things like music and movies and media, where it was it used to be more constrained regionally. Uh, you know, things right. become. Um, but it, yeah. So again, to kind of encapsulate back to a, to an actual question. Um, you know, what do you see, I guess, as just cause I'm not as plugged in right now with, with what the kids are doing maybe, but what do you kind of see as, as that kind of next step or are there things that, um, in advertising that you see now as an adult that are, you know, advertisements through Facebook or through YouTube, um, that yeah. you're, you cause I almost want to think like, man, I should really, you know, my kids watch YouTube so much, you know, I should really tell them to look out for this because it's, you know, at least for advertising, just kind of basic stuff. But, um, 
yeah, what, what, what have you kind of seen and, and how do you kind of, um, in your media diet, maybe let's phrase it to, yeah. come to you personally, in your media diet, what are, what are the pressures of, uh, you know, what, how does, how does Google have you pegged? What are, what are they selling you? What's the, the, the over the, 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 that, that kind of pressure as it would have been, you know, in the nineties, say like, a, you know, it's all these toy companies and the cereal companies. And... Right. Um, well, you know, the thing I was going to say and, and not to, um, not to take the easy way out, but because it's hard to, uh, it's kind of hard to get too specific with the, with the details there. Um, but I, I mean, I would just say the medium, um, and I'm using the singular medium here, um, has evolved so much, Mm. um, that, and now I'm going to say the media, I studied, I mean, I studied media communications in college, so I get, I get particular about media and medium. So, um, so like, for example, uh, you know, the cell phone, we talked about that earlier. Um, my kids have, they both have tablets, they both have their own tablets, which, I mean, those literally did not exist when we were kids. Um, but we decided sure. to get them. Um, be, we have them very meticulously set up. They have a timer. They can only use it for a certain amount of time per day. Hmm. Uh, and, and it's very restricted in terms of what certain things, educational apps and things like that. Um, so it's kind of structured in that way. Um, and also, you know, to your point about YouTube, you do definitely have to be careful. Uh, there's, you know, you have to, you have to monitor, you know, you can put on, they have all kinds of, these people with these channels where there's these guys just playing with toys and like narrating it. Uh, and right. my kids love that, but you have to be careful because, um, because they're, they're, they? I mean, just because who are yeah. they? Right. I mean, gotta be- right. Yeah. And, and, and also, and, and there have been some kind of disturbing, uh, stories about people saying like just bad things, like self-doubt types, you know, like discouraging things, mean things to the kids and stuff like that. And so you kind of have to watch, uh, it's a different, it's a different kind of thing though. Right. Cause like when we were kids, it was, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's probably gotten worse because, you know, when we were kids, it was like, you know, don't leave Showtime on because a, a sex scene will come on, or you know, r- real sex will come on, or something like that. But uh, or or you know, something really violent will come on, or you know, the, the, the speed, you know, Alien or something, or Predator. Yeah, um, yeah. But now, now it's like that's still there. But then you also have you know, like the YouTube creep. You also have uh, I've heard these stories about people like hackers hacking into your baby monitors and like saying messages to your kids or like watching your kids through them. And I don't know if that's the kind of thing that you were getting at before, um, with, with, in terms of like what things you, you watch out for. But, um, I think that just the massive exponential growth and I, th- uh, you know, in terms of media, media, mm-hmm. just all of the, all of them out there and, you know, us, I, I think that we're in a, a unique, uh, as, you know, pushing 40-ish millennials, um, we kind of joke before, like being senior millennials, um, right. you know, we came up in an age where we really saw the end of an era and the beginning of a new era. You know, when we were kids, it was like, I mean, I remember actually, I remember actual Walkmans, you know, remember that we had Walkmans and then we had Discmans, you know, and then it, then it became like iPods and all that stuff. 
Uh, but I mean, I still remember like recording songs off the radio onto my cassette tape. You know, we went, we went from that to people, to kids having cell phones at school and then, you know, go on to the next 15 years, you know, you know, so in, in terms of the evolution, uh, it, we've seen it during our time. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I guess for me, I just, I, I feel like I've been witness to, how much that's changed to where even just the other day, you and I were having the conversation about how, like, I wish I could break free from my cell phone, but it's like, it's like we're joined at the hip. So I guess it's just kind of like having, uh, maintaining that control over um, what your kids are exposed to is kind of a challenge in and of itself. Right. Well, I would, I would also say like, but what about, you know, as they're, and maybe, you know, again, the, the podcast died of yourself how are how do you kind of um you know the george carlin's of today you know whether it's right right um and you don't have to go into who they are specifically but how do you have that that filter of maybe enjoying something um you know because i'll I'll just use like another example you know uh, you know david talks somewhat about the simpsons a little bit um and that's kind of another kind of uh, bullet point on the the spectrum of this sarcasm and this irony and and uh, yeah you know d- the d- destruction of society through very irreverent comedy um, which uh, you know David notes is being written more and more by these Harvard level uh, people you know SNL mm-hmm. and all these places are, are very kind of known for the the level of writers so you have these really really smart and educated well educated people writing this you know at first is what is kind of what I remember as seeing kind of guttural humor you know fart it was mm-hmm. kind of fart jokes and that was the reason why I wasn't allowed to watch it at least initially was you know Bart's a little disrespectful to his parents and you know, it says right. talk talks back and, you know, all this stuff. So there's there's something going on there uh, between sure. who, who the type of people who's writing it. Um, but so, so how so enjoying but, but you know, obviously that how, how popular that is. So, again, I guess the, the question is, how how have you kind of learned and developed over time or, or do you like enjoy those those types of things? Um while still kind of maintaining, especially over the last year with a lot of your, you know, your uh, podcast and these videos being of a political nature and being that, the, that, that active type of person who's, you know, taking more steps and just talking about it, you know, and, um, yeah. getting other people to do it too. Right. How do you balance those two things out in a, in a media diet? Huh? It's a really interesting term, media diet. I remember you mentioned that for the first time you answered the question, and I kind of <laughs> sidestepped that part of it. I tried to take the easy way out, and you're not letting me. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, you know, one thing I will say, I want to give kudos to my wife because she's always been more on top of the watch what you say and what you do and what you have on TV in front of the kids Um, Because she was always much more aware of the fact that they hear everything, even when you don't think they do. Uh, And I, I, I've learned that. And as I've gotten older, 
uh, they will say things and I'm like, where did you hear that? And they're like, I heard it from you. I'm like, wow. Okay. So in a, in a, to a certain extent, it's myself. Uh, and I think that the, the, the point there is that we do have to practice self-awareness, um, which is why a lot, I mean, not the only reason why I obviously I couldn't do this with my kids running around anyway, but I also, I do make a point to really be apolitical and I don't show them obviously what I do here. And, mm. um, I think, you know, it's interesting. And I want, I did want to say, and I don't know if I'm kind of jumping off topic here, but, no, um, politically, you know, it's an interesting topic because, and again, I kind of go back to my dad here. Um, my dad never tried to uh, never tried to steer me to support or not support any particular president. You can actually there are recordings that my dad has of us on tape when I was very young, when Reagan was still president, or no, it was when Bush was president, but it was just after Reagan had been president. And he's asking me like the names of the presidents, mm. and I'm like, oh, President Bush, and you know, President Reagan, and he's like, and do you like our presidents? And I'm like, yeah. And I remember thinking back to my childhood, it was very much like presidents are good. You know, they're good people. We look up to them. And uh, it was never partisan. You know, it was only when I got older that I kind of learned like, okay, my parents kind of didn't really like Bush or Reagan, but you know, but that wasn't pushed. It was more about respect with, with this last year. So I talked to my son about Trump because my son said this was at the beginning of kind of the primary season. And he said that he said, I like Donald Trump. I hope he's president again. And I was like, and I said, I didn't, I didn't like tell him don't do that. But I was like, I was like, why, why do you like Trump? And he's like, because he likes pizza. And I was like, I don't know where you got that. Maybe he saw something with, I don't know. It was, I don't know. Kids make the connections. And so I told him, I was like, okay, um, him liking pizza is not really, you know, a reason why I would say that he's good. And then, you know what I did, I kind of, I broke a rule, a, a, a personal rule uh, because, you know, and again, I'm getting to a point here eventually, because you were talking about like your media diet and, sure. you know, what you see. So like, I try to be careful about watching uh, news and politics. And, and what what had happened was over time, I realized that my son was becoming aware of some of the things that our president says, hmm. some of the, the way he behaves, character stuff. We're not talking policy. We're talking right. character. Right. And And that's the thing I did say to my son. I said, you know what? Personally, uh, Donald Trump is not somebody that I would want you to grow up to be like. He doesn't he doesn't represent the kinds of things that I would hope to emulate for you and for you and your sister to grow up to be. And I said that, like, he's he's mean to people. He makes fun of people. Uh, you know, and I just said, he's kind of a mean person. I didn't, it wasn't political at all. I just said, these are the things about him that I, and I did that because that, that was not a political move. Obviously he's not voting in the election. Um, that was, that was a, that was a, yeah, that was a parent move. That was a, that was reinforcing what I think is important. When we were kids, my dad didn't need to tell me like George Bush is a bad man because he still carried himself like a regular decent person. Um, and so I guess if I'm trying to find my way back to, to a point to your, to your question here, um, 
it is just that kind of self-awareness on an, on an internal and external level, realizing that, you know, I'm a human. I say things, I slip sometimes and say, I've said bad words and my son corrects me. He says, mm-hmm. you shouldn't say that. I remember one, actually one time I had, I think it was the debate was on and I said something about like, shut up because Trump kept interrupting. Mm-hmm. And my son was like, don't say that. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. You're right. I should not say that. That's, so, you know, they keep you in check. Yeah, that's what they're for. For sure. But, but yeah, but definitely it's just a matter of that self-awareness and, um, but at the same time, you know, and also goes along with that whole, uh, like the whole George Carlin thing where it's, 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 um, exposing you to reality. Now my son's six. So I always say when I talk to my kids about stuff, it's, you talk to the level of their age. Um, my, both my, my kids know more about death than I probably ever would have thought I would talk to them because, because we lost our first child. And they know, you know, we have her picture and they know of, they know of her. Mm. Um, so that has led to more questions and answers. So I like to think, I, I hope, I, I like to think that I have, uh, I've, I've evolved into a, uh, enough of a self-aware, uh, actualized self-actualized well-adjusted father that i can guide my kids in a way that is appropriate to their age and i think that i'm doing all right because like i said my son will will call me out and that's one of the things that's important to me is i i let my kids know that i'm not perfect and if i do make mistakes i own up to it and i will apologize and i think Dare I say it? I don't think that our president had that. Mm. I would. I, I can't imagine with his behavior that he had a lot of that modeling for him as a as a child. Um, does that kind of answer your question? I know yeah. I kind of I went off in different directions there, but yeah, uh, you ask you ask tough questions, and we didn't go over this beforehand. So. <laughs> I, this was this was not <laughs> on the test. No. Um, no well, I, I think. What I, one thing I wanted to kind of do is bring it back to that original quote um, before we yes, go on to yes. that, that second part was, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, one of the things he talks about is American values and um, talking about, you know, building a family. And, and one of the other things that is, is happening during the 80s and 90s that I, I can kind of speak to a little bit is this idea of family values. Um, you know, this is, again, kind of where... The, it's not the start of you know Christianity and you know conservatism coming together, um, obviously, but it, it's getting to a, a critical mass you know during the eighties and nineties mm-hmm. with and again television plays a role in this and the the televangelists, um, radio as a medium, moral majority, moral majority, <laughs> right? Uh, you yeah. know, it's just kind of everywhere. And you know, having been mm-hmm. raised in a Christian conservative family with you know very young age, you know, going, um, listening to Rush Limbaugh on the, the trips and you know, going to church and, and really believe, believing it and things like that. Um, yeah. You, know, I, I, you, you identify, you know, family obviously as a, as a good thing. Um, but you also identify, you know, family with, with politics a little bit just because of how much it is. You know, obviously you understand, you know, again, in the nineties, it started to the tipping point with, especially with what's going on with Bill Clinton 
you know, that's a whole other family values thing that's going on. But with, you know, not only at the forefront, but just kind of meshed in with everything that we're talking about. Um, right. So, you know, this idea of uh, that what what uh, David is talking about is, you know, of extolling the virtues of the family life, um, you know, having a responsibility and, you know, it, you know, even t- taking that out from me now, the both the the Christian and conservative parts, um, still understanding that there is still something good within a family, but also, you know, having enough lived experience to know that it's not for everyone, but knowing that there's still there's a there's a kind of be a process of rebuilding in the society of where units of people um, at some level, whatever you want to call it, family or not, you know, it's it, it kind of be kind of necessary um and mm-hmm. so being and having that idea of what he's talking about to go back to uh having been so tied to a a, a religious movement and a, and a political movement um i think makes it kind of toxic for a lot of people that are on the left um and mm-hmm. so if you were to try and say that as a, a secular um nonpartisan person some of the things that he's talking about you, you know and, and again this is kind of in the era of grunge and that's kind of why he uh, i think felt so insecure about a lot of it is because it sounds like the old man like he says like old man with you know wagging the finger of you know mm-hmm. we need the citizenship in class and you need to know that this and you know looking over your ballot is hard work and you need to sit down and take some hours and read and you know, all of this stuff, right? So, yeah. So, you know, again, with my experience, having that tied to it, um, again, still able to appreciate the family aspect. I'm wondering if, you know, I don't know, you know, you'd mentioned kind of a different political background than me, but I'm wondering just, and you don't have to mention the, the religious part of it, but having a little bit different perspective, how you kind of view that whole idea of the family unit and, um, I mean, is it something that's still, how important do you view that as part of your own little community, whether, how, how big that is? Yeah. Um, hmm. I mean, is that actually a virtue? Uh, I, I thank you for saying that because that actually helps really, uh, really uh focus the question a little bit for me so mm-hmm. thank you for saying that uh, that helps <laughs> um because yeah you know what i think that i think that it definitely can be virtuous as long as it is genuine and open and non-toxic <laughs> um i don't know i don't know all who watches this so being a little careful here but um you know i i am i am to a large extent estranged from a good amount of my family. Um, and, uh, a lot of that has to do with really the antithesis of, of a family unit. Although, you know what, it kind of depends on your definition. My, (laughs) my family is very much, in and of itself, very self-contained, mm. um, not particularly communal, 
we didn't go out a lot. We didn't really, uh, even within the family, you know, most of, most of our family is actually from the East coast and uh, most, you know, most of, most of them lived back there. We only had just a few households, I guess you could say all over here on the West coast. And even of them, we didn't see them all that much. Um, and yeah, it's just, my parents self-described by the way, uh, as like homebodies, you know, and very keep to themselves. And as I've grown up and become independent and moved out, um, we've kind of just found ourselves on different paths that they don't really want to come along with me on. Mm. Um, so I guess I would say that, you know, on the one hand, I, I think that it is extremely important because I kind of miss it, you know? Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, you don't want to, uh, you know, you have to take, you have to take care of yourself. Like you have to look out for yourself. So you, you don't want to, uh, it's like, what you know, is it, is it better to have, you know, bad love or no love, I guess is the way, one way you, you know, the simplest way you could put it. I think, but, but to, to, again, to hopefully answer your question, the idea that, by not having something, you realize how good it might be, you know, if it was right. And to a certain extent, I do get a little bit of that with my wife's family. Um, they're actually pretty much the antithesis of that. And I get along you know, pretty well with them. And, 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 and to a large extent, they've kind of filled that void. There are a lot of things now as an adult there that, that I see in their family that I'm like, wow, you guys do that. You guys, we didn't do that. And, and on the other side of it, it's like, they don't necessarily have the experience of, you know, just the, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash my family here too much here. It's just your in-laws. Come on now, Chris. (laughs) Just um, this kind of, I guess like non-participation sort of thing uh, in what's going on outside of your yourself. And it, it, uh, in certain instances, such as child loss, perhaps, um, the non-participation is noticed, Mm. I guess is a way to put it. Um, but, but, um, you do, yes, yes. I guess to, to answer your question, I do think that, that the, there is merit to, the value of a a strong family. But I think that there's uh, perhaps um, particular parameters that need to be met for that to be a, (laughs) a positive. Right. Right. So that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that, um, you know, sometimes, you know, just in, you know, personal experience where people have not had, you know, the, say the relationship with the parents that, um, that I've had, they have somehow used that adversity and not all of them, but, and I guess maybe this is self-selecting, but some people have obviously been able to use that adversity, uh, to push themselves forward. Um, whereas maybe the people who, who didn't, you know, I just didn't have an interacted with, or, you know, they're just not going right. to be, they're just not going to be as successful because, for, for whatever reason, you know, some, some other thing happened to where, um, you know, just, just, w- it wasn't there for them. Um, 
and I think so. So you know, just from hearing you say that, it, it sounds like that there was something. You know, there's something um, that could have been had that wasn't, whether it's in the form of a personal relationship or um, just a you know a singular moment or you know mo- uh, things that have happened over time um, that we can you know work with uh, you know as as people. But I also think you know just as um, fr- from the point of a society. You know what? What is the the, the difference between um, you know, that experience and if you know, everything had been uh, you know as perfect as you could have have wanted it? You know what I mean. So how is that really helping yeah. our, as us you know, to to build the society? How important is you know a family unit? And it can be just something as simple as you know a father staying in their their child's life you know for the whole time. How how much more virtuous is that than if we came upon a culture of, uh, fam- of uh, came upon a culture where the the father left, um, you know, for a very right. significant time? How could how could we uh, say without some serious investigation that we were you know, more virtuous than these people because you know dad's there six to, to eight hours a day or whatever that, that I mean. Time is. I definitely wouldn't, I, I personally would not ever claim to be more virtuous than anybody, uh, well, maybe especially using, for, I keep using virtuous, just <laughs> to create a functioning society, a democracy, maybe to bring in sure. the, polit- the political aspect of it. Um, right. You know, what, what we would kind of want for an American society is, is that the most, most ideal to, you know, two parents and, um, you know, being in, in their life as much of their waking moments as possible? I, th- I think that there is, uh, I think there's something to be said for quality over quantity. Mm. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm being very careful with what I say because uh, I, I'm not super well researched on this topic and I don't, I don't try to, I'm not one of those type of people that will try to uh, claim to be. Sure. Um, I'm, oh, I'm sure. only going to, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I, I can, I can obviously uh, speak to my own experience and then I can speculate to a certain extent. Um, I think that, I think there's, I think there's merits to all of the above. I, I, I think there's obviously a, there's a nature versus nurture, um, I think that, you know, for me, you know, if I'm thinking about my parents were there for me when I, when I was growing up, they were there for wh- what I needed. My dad provided for us, you know, always had a roof over our heads and he was a good dad. I mean, I, I don't, don't get me wrong. I, I think that my dad, when I was growing up, um, I think my parents had, had their flaws as we all do, but I also think that they were, they were good parents in, in, in their own ways. Um, I think that a a big, a big uh, thing or theme maybe for my dad was really the idea of self-sufficiency. I remember him even saying, as I got older, 
just the idea of like hoping that his kids are able, essentially, I don't know if he used those words specifically, but just the idea of not needing them anymore. And I do remember my dad saying in the, in the earlier years of my adulthood, after I had gotten married and started to kind of establish myself. And he had said that like, basically once I got out of, out of high school, like he didn't have to worry about me anymore. And he was always, but he said it in like a positive way. And, you know, I guess where I'm going with this is, I mean, that's not a bad thing. Like, it's not a bad thing to be able to basically, you know, kind of make it or whatever you want to call it. Mm. And as a parent, I mean, that is a, that is a good thing to hope for, but, you know, now I'm kind of getting into the feels aspect of it, but you know, my, I, I, I kind of had the, the feeling that it was sort of like, well, all done, you know, you, we, you made it. Like I did my job, the yeah. dynamic of parent. Yeah. The, right. di- the dynamic of parenting changes when you grow up, I think you still need your parents, but it's a different thing. You, when your parents don't make that, you know, if evolution with you, I think that's where problems can be caused. Like for um, example, can yeah. you imagine saying that to one of your kids? Um, like, like, boy, I'm so glad I don't have to worry about you anymore. I, I, I would definitely, I could see myself saying, you know, to my 30-year-old son, like, you know what? You turned 18, you went to college, you got a job. You know, you got married, you got a house, you did all that on your own. And I'm so proud of you, son. Like I could, I could say that. Yeah. That's something but, completely, that's a, that's, <laughs> that's not what, what your dad I'm said. Trying to be, I'm trying to be nice. I mean, well, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to pick out the goods, you know, the good, I, 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 no, I know. But, I don't, th- but that's, that's just what you, I'm not. And again, this isn't, um, maybe I, I put it, the, that virtuous thing not so much value <laughs> judgments again this is yeah, an evolution yeah. this is um you know i'll just say like so my dad was um i don't even know if that was something that my grandpa would say to my dad but there's you know there's a difference there you know my dad was born in 1960 um so but you know a lot of the people that i knew had had older dads too a lot of my friends in high school you know, so my dad was 25 when he had me. A lot of people were, again, that was a time thing, you know, you know, in their forties. So by the time they're in high school, it was, you know, my dad's my age now, 35, 40. And right. the other dads are 60 or 50, you know? So, so that, so that's a whole generation thing. If you think someone that was born 1960 versus someone who was born in 1945, you know, huge difference in, in, their sure. upbringing uh, I, what I would have to think is an, a, a huge difference um, so I understand you know that just because we're the same generation obviously doesn't mean that our, our parents are and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of growth just even in between a 10 year period of that time um, right but certainly at least from a, again from a media perspective that idea of uh, the father who it's not that he's not concerned about the well-being, but is maybe more 
unemotional about it or doesn't know how to do it, you know, the stereotypical type of dad. And, and I think right. that, and I think that itself is kind of a spectrum where, you know, I don't, maybe no, some people had the, the absolute stereotypical dad, but maybe there was like one thing out of that stereotype where your own dad kind of fit it, you know, oh, it doesn't know how to talk to me about, <laughs> you know, about the birds and bees or something like that, you know, oh, that's, right. that's one thing. But also that, um, you know, the, the things kind of how you are building men in society, things like confidence and how to treat the opposite sex and, uh, you know, those, those things that no one else is going to tell you. Um, sure. you know, and so, you know, I feel like that has just evolved, you know, even in, you know, my, my oldest is 14. My youngest is three. You know, it evolves, you know, over the lifespan of my four kids and how I'm right. going to address it. I'd not to say I have addressed it yet. I have not. But, um, you know, in that 10 years, mm -hmm. though, there's going to be some changes in, in what you feel comfortable talking about and what right. all, all those things. Um, but, you know, and those are all the tough, the tough things. But then there's also just mm -hmm. like you talked about those those conversations that are just like, Hey, you know, hanging in there or, Hey, you know, you got your life together, you know, and, uh, and how us as sons or daughters can take those types of comments too. Cause, cause we, you know, they have this whole other lived experience and just because that they're a parent, we like to, to think that we know them when, you know, sometimes parts of that can be just as, as strange as any stranger out there. So how, how they mm. meant it may, and how we accept it. So, um, yeah, you know, not not really a question out of that, but I think you know, the again, kind of to tie it back to the, the societal aspect of how important just some of those small conversations can be. Um, you know, like you said, just those moments of of not kicking you off the couch when when George Carlin is playing. You know, I think those types of moments. I think we we all could tie right. to someone in our family. Um, and how it's kind of affected us, maybe not even, uh, you know, politically or something, but just, you know, more likely, hey, South Park's on, my kid, you know, sits through, or, you know, whatever that thing is of our time, how we right. feel uh, as a filter for this great media to our children as well, you know, this hose mm -hmm. that is, is kind of never-ending. And like you mentioned, it's attached yeah. to the hip, and you can't really you know, turn it off, so... But uh, with that, let me before before we get too uh, into yeah. the weeds here, let me jump into the second quote. Because I, I think it's, I think it's yeah. just uh, as important here. So I'm going to go ahead and throw this up here. Okay. Um, and we, we've been kind of talking about this, but um, so he goes on to say uh, that the the point of all of this is that American uh, economic and cultural systems, uh, in terms of selling people products and keeping the economy thriving, do not work as well when it comes to educating children. Um, or helping us help each other know how to live and be happy, if that word means anything. Um, clearly, it means something different from whatever I want to do. Uh, that's not happiness. That feeling of having to obey every impulse uh, and gratify every desire. You know, you had talked a little bit earlier about um, happiness. And so I think that would be kind of a, a good start. Was what... You know, how has happiness 
your idea of happiness changed maybe even from uh, your mid 20, like in the last maybe five to 10 years, you know, let alone from, from, from teenage, what, what, how's that kind of evolved for you? Like, like what I think happiness is. Yeah. Or, um, just how, how you kind of framed it as something, uh, obtainable in your life. Well, I mean, obviously I think having kids throws a, throws it for a loop probably a little bit, right? I mean, your, your whole, if, that means if you you're can't there, have no, no. I, I mean, if you're there, if you're an involved parent, mm. you know, by definition, um, I, I mean, I guess I should say your, your personal definition of happiness doesn't necessarily change, but your, Focus again. I, I'm saying if you're an involved parent, I should distinguish because it does just a biological, you know, as a sperm donor doesn't necessarily mean that you're a parent per se. Uh-huh. Um, but if you're somebody like you and I who are striving to be there, um, I think it does shift it to an extent because you know, happiness for me becomes seeing my kids thrive and seeing them becoming mm. you know well adjusted as they grow up so but the but the core of that comes from the same person right this the same person that in our 20s and 25 or like you said 30 mm. pre kids it's you're still kind of the same person at your bare essence so i i don't i don't know that um you know, the definition of, I mean, well, I should just say happiness as a concept is quite abstract, you know, it's kind of hard to pin it down. I mean, happy is happiness a generalized, like I have a happy life or is happiness a specific state of mind? I'm happy right now. Now I'm sad. Now I'm angry. Now I'm surprised. Right. Or is it like, is it a, the, like you said, there's a spectrum too. So it's kind of hard to pin it down, I think. You know, I'm glad that you asked that because, um, <laughs> yes, the other day I was watching a video of Jack Black. He has like a gaming uh, channel. Uh, it's like Jablinski, I think it's called. Um, and uh, it was last year, had to be last year, because he's at Disneyland. He's celebrating his 50th birthday. And so they were doing this 50 challenge. And they're going to ride every ride. So there's... If you've ever been to, uh, have you ever been to California Adventure? I think it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this uh, this big um, uh, like a tube ride, the water ride. You know, it's like a big. That's what used big to be bear. Great America, right? No. Or is uh, this the one by Disneyland? Disneyland California Adventure. It's the park that's across oh, right, right. from Disneyland. Yeah, yeah. So the, yeah, yeah. I've been there. There's yeah. a, that water ride. You know, it's Big Bear. There's like a there's bear. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a water ride. So mm-hmm. the videos of him, they're getting down, they're going through this water, and I was watching it, and I've been down that ride like so many times, and I was just, uh, you know, the the video is so cool because it's it's like right, it's like you're right there, you're you're riding it, and mm-hmm. you know, there's just I I had this moment of you knowing the feeling, what it was like to be on just at at any ride at any amusement 
park when there's like a fleeting moment of you forget any problems that you were having on the vacation you forget you know whatever right. was back at work you forget anything that was with the the spouse or with any of your family you know if there was if you had a headache that morning you forget literally everything and there's like this feeling that it's like in your spine of or your your inside of like the, that excitement or the joy of, and you're turning the wheel and the water splashing and everybody at the same time. And the ride is, is, you know, surprised and in a shock. And, and so, right. so the reason I bring that up is because I think that's, that's as close to what I could ever say is like happiness in a singular moment. Um, right. You know, you know, that, that yeah. feeling, however long you can hold on to that. Right. Yeah. And that, and that's, that points to the, again, like that moment to moment emotional definition of happiness. Um, and I only say that because I do, I do feel like there is a somewhat of a, uh, difference, I think in terms of like, like the constitutional, uh, definition of like the, the, the pursuit of happiness versus, mm that happiness that you have on that big, big bear ride. Right. Like, um, <laughs> right. Because it's not going to, it's not going to stick with you after you get off the ride. All your problems are still there. That's constitutionally um, protected right there. <laughs> yeah. Right. That happiness. Yeah. Well, the pursuit, the pursuit. Well, okay. You're right. You're right. Um, but yeah, I think that, and again, I, and to, you know, at the risk of getting a little bit more personal, like, you know, I, having lost my first choice, you know, people say like, have your child is like the happiest moment of your life. Um, I, I can't say necessarily if that genuinely would be true for me had my situation not been the way it was, but having lost my daughter, um, and my son who was my, my next, you know, my first that we brought home, um, the, the labor with him was, was, was difficult. There were some issues going on there and it took him, he needed a little extra help to take his first breath. It was, it was nothing, you know, it was fine, but it was just one of those, especially with our history. It was like, it was, it was stressful. is what I'm trying to say. It was really, really stressful. When he took his first breath and he cried, like that was the happiest moment of my life. Like it's still, I can still put myself in that moment and I can feel it inside of my, you know, Mm -hmm. I could feel like this. It was almost like, you know, they t- like your heart sinks, but mm. it was like good. It was a good heart. It was like a shock, like, right. oh my God, like this is the most amazing thing. I, the sound of my living child making his first sound, his first breath was the most, that was the happiest I had ever been and ever have since. Um, I don't know if that's the same kind of, as your description, it's because because the point I'm trying to come around to, and, and that's not to that's not to denigrate the the sincerity of the happiness that you feel on the ride either. I'm, what I'm saying is, there's something that happens inside you. There's a, there's a physiological response that makes you feel good or you know euphoric or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say I don't know if this is I don't, I don't know if this is getting to the answer to your question, but I, I just think it's a funny side note. Um, the week, the week of my son 
uh, being born. I, I've got, I don't know if you, you can even see, I got this little spot right here. I, I have, I actually take medication. For, I have a lot of skin issues. I actually had to have surgery because I had this one really gnarly something going on. And you can actually see the scar uh, occasionally on some, some videos. If you get the right <laughs> angle, people might've seen it before, but, yeah. um, but anyway, I had had surgery for that and it was kind of, uh, it was kind of gnarly and, and they gave me some, some pain medication for it just cause it was like pretty big incision they had to make. And, and I had this moment, like myself was like three or four days old and I was like putting him to sleep and I was looking at him and I felt like just this incredible, just like love you know, like on another level. I was like, oh my God, this is just, you know, this is what people talk about when they have kids. But then I put him to sleep and I went downstairs and I also realized that I'm also taking this, this Norco and I'm like, you know, this might just be me being high because <laughs> like... I think there was a little bit. I think there's probably a little bit of both. I, love I think you, it man. was, en- yeah. I think it was enhanced. I, you know, I think that love was real, but I also think it might have been a little bit enhanced. So, what I'm yeah. trying to get at here is our life experiences. I think help shape, um, you know, our definition and our perception of what happiness is. I think. Yeah, and I've. I mean, to that point, I, I've watched a few of. Uh, gentleman by the name professor uh, robert sapolsky uh, who's a professor at stanford kind of did some neurological stuff so uh, just to that quick point um you know i think sometimes people's capacity for happiness as we know i mean people with with depression sometimes that's as he calls it um the inability to Mm -hmm. uh appreciate sunsets you know that it just you just can't do it you know and right and and some some for varying, uh, you know, reasons that I'm sure are still being researched, just whatever, you know, chemically or, uh, you know, something that happened, you know, before you were born in the womb could have, uh, you know, set, set this thing off. So, um, but, um, you know, to bring that, the happiness point back, I think there's also, you know, you mentioned the, the moment to moment, um, you know, I'm not sure if you've ever watched, you know, Mad Men, uh, show. But, you know, there's a, there's a clip of, of Don Draper and he's in the office and, and he says, you know, happiness, this is an ad, and he's an, uh, an ad man, you know, he's in uh, advertisement if, if you haven't ever seen the show. So that's kind of the, the background of this, the media again. Um, he says, happiness is a moment before you need more happiness, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's, you know, it's very clear, you know, it's just like you get hungry, but while you've just, just had a meal, um, and I think, you know, sometimes in the, the working culture, you know, and I've, I've been a victim of this, you know, I had a, a manager who said, you know, always have like a vacation, even if it's on, you know, you take a day off, you know, even if it's once or twice a year, um, or even if it's on the Saturday and you, you, you know, you're not taking any time off, but you're still going out you know, always have something to look forward to. And I, I have always tried to, to do that because there's always, um, and again, not to, to go completely off track, but with w- what that um, professor talked about with, with feeling pleasure and feeling happiness and monkeys and things like that is they don't feel the pleasure and the happiness when they like eat the reward. It's they feel the, the, the spike in the pleasure and the happiness is when they are entered into the room where they're going to do the task. Because as soon as they come and they go, ah, I'm going to get the treat. I know this one. 
I come in, I know how to do the task, I know the button, and then I'm going to get the treat. Right. And so it's all this anticipation of, oh, man, I'm going to get the treat, I'm going to get the treat. You know, so they still feel the pleasure, right. obviously, when they're eating it, but it's not as good as that as anticipation. And so, you know, I don't think that my, this boss was, you know, secretly playing some mind game to say, oh, he's always going to be in anticipation, so he'll always be happy, you know. I, I just think that he kind of found yeah. that out through his own life experiences. Oh, if I always have something right. to do every month, then dang, I feel pretty good. And I can, you know, make it through this hell of a life, you know, and it's, it's a little le- less yeah. pleasurable for me. So, no, yeah, you know, that's something that, that I've kind of fallen into. And I, I say fallen into because, you know, sometimes it does feel because when you set yourself up in that, in a cycle like that, sometimes you know, mm-hmm. once you have the moment, you know, you're on the flight back or you're on the trip back and it's, it's Sunday night and it's like, oh, I got so much crap and the people to deal with, you know, you've, you've right. taken yourself off the drug, so to speak, you know? Right. So, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's interesting to your point too. Uh, it's kind of, it just made me think of this example, I, similar kind of thing where I remember I, cause I used to sub, I used to substitute teach and mm. I remember one time I was subbing, it was like a long-term gig, it was a couple of weeks, and it was a particularly difficult class. It was high school, and it was it was like sophomore level, sophomore age, and yeah, it was rough. And I remember I, it was just like during winter season, I think, and I, I took a ski break. I went to the mountains, uh, and, I, and, I was, and I remember the, the week going into it, this is where it gets funny because I, I'm actually at school – experiencing it, the, the non-happiness, feeling happy for, oh, I can't wait for the ski trip to get away from this. And then I'm at the ski trip in the chairlift going up the hill thinking like, oh, shit, I got to go back tomorrow with this class, you know? Um, and that's kind of the whole like living in the moment thing too, right? Um, but yeah, I think that speaks to your point about anticipation. I think that's, I think maybe we're, maybe we're wired that way. You know, we're always kind of looking ahead. Right, and it's just difficult to to, to navigate that because you're so we can be so yeah. di- different, um, experience things differently. But um, you know, again, in terms of thinking of virtu- virtuously or whatnot, you know, what's what's the most healthy thing? I think we all kind of have to find that that too. Is how, how can yeah. I manage my my mental health? Um, and because uh, again, none of this is to say that try going on vacation or trying to find your happiness is bad or, you know, you shouldn't. Um, but again, to go back to kind of what David is saying is how do we also not shut ourselves out of this, this public life and, and what needs to be done yeah. to be a citizen? How do we not turn that dial off completely and just go, you know, be in our virtual virtual world where, you know, I can control everything that gets put in front of me and I can, you know, experience happiness you know, like tomorrow, if I just wanted to from like midnight to, to midnight, like I could just have a virtual world and just be nothing but you know, everything that, you know, mid 90s me could have ever dreamed for in terms of a technological <laughs> future. So right. you know, what are you, right. you going to do? How do you be uh, th- that responsible citizen, father, uh, employee, um, you know, especially you know, working from home. I don't have to be anywhere, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think you're kind of hitting on the, uh, 
the $64,000 question as it were, uh, when it comes to happiness and, um, that kind of balancing act. Uh, I know, you know, we were talking a little bit about depression earlier, I think offline. And, and I know that that's something that, that, uh, you know, David struggled with for, I guess, most of his adult life. Um, for me, you know, you, you had mentioned the not being able to appreciate the sunsets. Uh, I remember getting to a point where, um, I wasn't appreciating the the joy of my kids anymore. Like I couldn't, I couldn't experience that. I knew that I was, I was missing it. I was there physically there and I was like involved, but I wasn't experiencing it. And, uh, and the other thing was I used to like working out would always be a way. And this is where I'm kind of getting into the, you know, there's a physiological side to like what we call happiness mm. and uh, you could kind of get the endorphins pumping and like going for a run used to be my way of kind of managing that. I remember I went for a run when I was getting feeling particularly bad and I, I felt worse when I got done, when I came back home and that's when I was, I started getting worried. I was like, that's why I was thought things are getting bad because even my, my little um, coping mechanisms weren't working anymore. Um, and I think, uh, I think the sort of textbook, uh, as it were, depression is a complicated thing, but a big part of it is just that not being able to experience the moment and not being able to anticipate the future. It's kind of when you have both those things, like if you can, you might be in a shitty job, you might be stressed out at work, unhappy, but if you have like your like your managers was saying, you know, if you have that thing to look forward to, whatever it is, it might even just it doesn't have to be vacation. It might just be a really good meal that you know you're going to have when you get yeah, home, right? Exactly. Or your favorite show is going to be on that, right? So, exactly. but being able to have that is such a big part of it, and I think that to kind of bring it around, you know, I think what David might have been trying to say is that you know we have to allow ourselves to experience humanity the, the human condition is, is everything it's it's happiness it's lost tragedy you know sadness it's uh, the ups and downs and kind of be okay with it um i think that's where the danger of that whole you know do what you want kind of thing do what makes you feel good kind of comes in because that's not really um sustainable i think um, you even kind of touched on that earlier with what you were when you were talking about George Carlin and like what if everybody just felt that way? What if everybody just felt like oh it's all bullshit doesn't matter? Like what would happen? Um, so yeah, I think it's I think that uh, you know that's the that's the challenge I guess and, and more so than ever in this technological age. Here we are right now. I mean we're using the media that we have at our at our disposal to have this conversation and. Um, part of that is necessity because of every, you know, everybody's socially distancing and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, there's no, there's no one right answer. I mean, we're all just uh, experiencing life and uh, I think trying to do the best we can, but yeah, living in the moment and being able to anticipate the future and be happy about it or excited about it, but not feeling the pressure to be happy. There's also that because there's also the people. Oh, smile! Why don't you smile more? You know, like that. You can't. You can't impose happiness. There is a sense of you know. And again, bringing it back yeah. to like the founding of our nation, predicated on the pursuit of happiness. You know, it's almost like you put it on a pedestal. Like, well, we also have to experience 
right? Yeah. <laughs> Everything else that goes along with it. Yeah, or what, or even just something like what 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 was a jolly good time for them? What was happiness? What's was that? Get, you know, getting new dentures. <laughs> right. right. You know what? what but yeah, you know, I think you know you were talking about a little bit to the happiness with uh, regarding with children. I think part of it too is um, having those conversations now with some of my older girls, um, you know, regarding to have that happiness because we have two of those things that you were talking about kind of missing. One of them um, being uh, certainty about the future um, and the other Mm -hmm. one living in the moment, which um, there's, I don't know if you feel this, but there's kind of a, one thing that just never feels like there's a moment. Um, you know, at the top of the show, I said a Saturday vibe and it, and it was a little bit, but for a while I never had like a weekend. It didn't feel like a weekend. It felt like just kind of another day. And part of that's because you're staying at home, but, right, right. but the, the days right. kind of lose the feel that they used to have. And so all of those, yeah. uh, constructs that used to be there however small societal things that that uh were kind of built in and are now being kind of taken for granted and so you have that you have the the uncertainty um sometimes i don't even know how to would to address it or to bring it up to say hey you know hang in there you'll see your friends someday you know as the cases are going up and you know, because right. in our area, the schools are saying, oh, well, yeah, we'll be back. And, you know, not that I don't want them to, to go back or think that it's bad, but, you know, it's just uh, I, I, no one is, is certain. So how, so again, where, right. where, what's the, how can you not encourage people and, and even your kids to find anything and to cling on to any type of happiness that they can right now? You know, if it's playing on the, the iPad, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's tough it's not the same as yeah. as you know our parents or maybe their their parents were about chasteness and uh you know regarding having fun and you know screen time and all that kind of stuff right yeah it's definitely uh, yeah i mean it's a unique situation on on all fronts with the the advent of technology and then the situation right now uh it's you know for, i'm in a unique situation at least compared with you, I think, because my kids are a bit younger. My, my son just started kindergarten this year. Mm. And I think for kids that are, yeah, for kids that are just starting off on the school side, it's, uh, um, they don't really know anything else. I mean, well, I mean, my, my son did go to preschool, which was, you know, when he found out that he wasn't going to be going back to preschool last year. He, he was devastated. Mm. And uh, we go every Thursday to drop off his work and pick up his new packet for the week. And we pass by the playground. He said just this last week, um, he's like, he said, I'll be going back to the playground and uh, it'll be within a hundred days. And I was like, how do you know it'll be a hundred days? And he's like, cause the coronavirus can't last more than a hundred days. I didn't have the heart to tell him like, uh, it's been like almost 300 already, but um, it's good there. Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's like on the one hand, you know, my son doesn't know anything else necessarily like mm. because he hasn't been in school all this That's time, true. but at the same time, but he is miss. I mean, he's noticing it. He had a, they the my uh family had a get together a couple weeks ago 
and they got to see some of their cousins in kind of an outdoor environment and he hadn't seen them in a long time. And just the other night he came out crying saying that he was sad because he, he missed them. And it's kind of like it reminded him about those other people. And so we were able to arrange the day. We had a kind of a get to get where people were wearing masks and everything, but at least having that interaction. But yeah, I mean, you know, you, you speak to a important point about how, again, just, uh, the idea that we all have to kind of grow and, you know, uh, kind of plugging myself in a sense here, but I, I had an episode earlier in the year where I was talking about kind of using this opportunity, using this experience as an opportunity to model resilience for our kids. Cause I, I see a lot of, you know, I see people, you know, you see the people on Facebook uh, who discouraged the masks who could take their kids out to parks and play with other kids because, you know, we're not going to hold them in. We're not going to keep them inside. And, you know, on the one hand, okay, you're, you're, maybe you're, you think you're teaching your kids to be strong, but you're also teaching them to, you know, kind of disrespect science uh, or, um, you know, authority. And it says, I do think that there's merits to teaching your kids to question things. I talk about questioning things, but also it's got to be informed, you know, it's not just you're basically just teaching your kids to, I don't know, give up if we want to call it that. But, you know, the idea of being strong, like, OK, you know, yeah, this is hard, but, you know, our yeah. country called on our, uh, you know, in World War Two, the country called on people to do a lot more than wear a mask. Um, I don't know. I think there's just some irony there with the. the the idea of like you would do anything for your country, but but you won't wear a mask. Yeah, um, you know, after over two hundred thousand people have died. <laughs> well, and I think um, you you make a good point because um, part of what maybe their what their resilience maybe they'll they'll probably be more resilient than us is because you know yeah. the the word that keeps getting uh, used is normal or you know returning to normalcy normalcy or this isn't normal, right or you know, we need to get back to normal um and i first of all i don't think that there will we will ever have that same normal that we had before right you know, things are going to be different you know regardless of who yeah. wins um and so i think they the younger generations will be quicker to understand that and things will they'll want to change mm -hmm. it anyway um but you know, again, to bring back that that quote from David on there of you know these these economic systems that work very well, you know, it, it was always the case of how do we put kids back in school because the schools have to make money? Um, how do we get people back in the jobs? It was there was never the the the, the first point of business uh, from the government standpoint never seemed to be. How are we going to do all of this safely? How how can we keep everyone safe? What's what's the plan right. there? And then we can figure out how to get people back to work safely. And so again, it was about this whole economic system of how do we get the economy back, not how do we keep people safe? Right. You know. And again, I don't want to take for granted the need for um, people to get back to work. And you know, obviously that's that's a key if, if things aren't done and weren't done that have been done um right. a lot we could be in a lot worse shape and can still be 
However, mm-hmm. you know, it's just another example of that type of, of priority where systems in America work very great or very, very well to uh, capitalize and make money, but not to ensure the health and safety of its of its citizens. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, because that doesn't that's not what sells, I guess. Right. That's not what moves the economy. We need people to consume. We need people to work so that they'll consume. And, uh, you know, the giving everybody a stimulus or making health care free doesn't really work to that end. So, um, well, and I, yeah, I mean, we, uh, you know, when you have a, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I'm probably, I'm good. I'm probably, I, I I'm probably uh, wandering off the point anyway. Well, the reason I, I bring it up is because I, I wonder if, um, you know, as bad as, as COVID situation has been, and, and we're st- again, we're still going through it, um, could that have, have been, could it still be an opportunity to uh, get rid of that normalcy, you know, to, to um, look at, see, you know, doing, do research on, how that stimulus uh, affected people um, and why that yeah. couldn't be, you know, take this up as an opportunity f- to, to look at things like, um, you know, plans for, uh, I can't remember the exact name of it, like say the Andrew Yang's plan of, uh, you know, a, ch- a check from yeah. the government for the UBI. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Basic income. Right. So, you know, yeah. looking at those types of things, what, you know, what's, what's really going on here? If, if, uh, you know the the Fed is just printing money, you know, because of this. To and it, that the only end is is the economy good. Um, you know, what else is possible? <laughs> you know, right, right. Uh, um, and and how can we, you know, and again, I hate to say it like this to use COVID as an opportunity because it, it just feels so bad and, and dirty to say it like that. But to to make the most of a, an obviously terrible situation. Not yeah. only for the health uh, ramifications in the future, but um, you know, if they're going to use the economy, uh, then why can't mm-hmm. normal citizens use this also as a time to to transition away from uh, a legacy type of economy? Right. I mean, you know, I just look at right here. Look at all this traffic. Like, think about on uh, if everybody was able to start not everybody obviously people at, who work in healthcare and things like that but i i've heard so many stories about people who used to who, like even like ceos people who are in positions where they have to travel a lot traveling across the country to go to meetings and things like that i think we've been able to demonstrate i know i have personally with with my job that you know not not everything can be done but a, a lot, a lot of what we do can be done remotely and how much gas, I mean, I, to even just get gas money, you right. know, on its own, how much we've saved, but are the carbon footprint, you know, we get into sure. that conversation. How much of that can we pull back uh, by people teleworking more? Um, uh, yeah, I think, I, I think that there's the possibilities are really endless in terms of uh, what lessons could be learned from here. The, the question is, are we going to go there? Are we, are we going to do that as a society? I, I'm not sure one way or the other. Uh, one can hope. I mean, you, 
we progress as a society overall in the long run, but uh, it's always kind of a one step forward, two steps back kind of situation sometimes. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But we have to stay engaged, right? That's like the point you're making before about not, not becoming apathetic, but actually doing, getting, getting in the game a little bit and hopefully trying to inspire that, uh, that movement. Yeah. Well, and I think I, I hopefully we're seeing it in the early votes too, of just kind of that civic. Yeah. Duty and that's kind of been a nice, uh, kind of reminder. Uh, well, I know mm-hmm. we've been going for plus 90 minutes here. It's like a marathon. Yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, I, and I actually am working this weekend too, so I should get to bed pretty soon. Yeah. Well, I know I've taken a lot of time and we could go on for hours. This has been such a fun topic, but yeah. I wanted to, uh, thanks for, uh, for indulging me talking about, uh, this, yeah. this topic on short notice. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It's definitely, uh, did we, did we get anybody? I can't see the chat from here, but I, did we get anybody, uh, in the live chat with any, anything or? No, it was, it was, uh, Ooh. messing up for me. <laughs> Quiet too. night. It wouldn't, um, oh. re- refresh for me. It was still showing as like, going to start at nine thirty, even at like 10 o'clock when I was, when we were going, it finally did, uh, oh, really? clear up for me, but I think it didn't start for some people, but. Yeah, we'll we'll get. The oh no! Out. Yeah, so it, it okay, it, but that was, which was weird because but it, it recorded. It, yeah, it recorded it and it did work because it, it turned on for you. Um, you know when yeah. you were listening to it, so I think it was just a, a player yeah. error on on some things. But um, okay, so well, if uh, we'll probably connect in a couple of weeks. Next week we got uh, Halloween, so everyone out there have a great uh, Halloween. Stay safe. Yep. And uh, anything uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks?